0: You asked me, like, what am I doing differently now this year? Is I'm abandoning decade-long teaching strategies that I've used in online courses.
1: That's impressive, John. That yeah. you're that you're changing. I am changing. <laughs>
0: I'm John Nash here with Jason Johnston.
1: Hey, John. Hey, everyone. And this is Online Learning in the Second Half, the Online Learning Podcast.
0: Yes, we are doing this podcast to let you in on a conversation that we've been having for the last, now, two and a half years (laughs) about online education. Look, online learning has had its chance to be great, and a lot of it is, and there's still a lot that isn't. And so I'm wondering, how can we get to the next stage? What do you think?
1: Let's do a podcast and talk about it. What do you think?
0: I think that's great. What do you want to talk about today?
1: I would love to talk about back to school. Here we are coming back to school. The students are returning either virtually or in person. Parking is an issue again. as And I'm assuming it's the same at your institution as it is Absolutely. at mine. Are you still biking to work?
0: I am. I oh, good me. for you. Yes, yeah. on an e-bike. So it's a lovely little ride. And so mm. I do pedal, but I probably don't pedal as hard as I could because it's too alluring and fun to push the little electric accelerator lever and just go.
1: Technology enhanced commuting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You. That's good. You're not dealing with the same kind of parking issues. I'm still, I'm back in, I'm still back in 2023 where we used to use fossil fueled driven cars and look for parking spaces yeah. among everybody else yeah
0: which my professor at the university of wisconsin noted the, the parking permit is really just a hunting license
1: <laughs> that's exactly it <laughs> yeah yeah i had to go way out into the woods earlier this week in order to, to get myself get myself my parking space that's good here we are Back at school, but, but online does make it a little easier to park if everybody was online. As we're approaching back to school, John, maybe, maybe there's some people that are joining us kind of partway through this podcast and haven't joined us from the beginning, but as a little bit of an introduction, I'm an administrator at a large SEC school in Tennessee. I'm the executive director of online learning and course production. And so. My big thing is not teaching in the classroom, but helping instructors develop courses for the classroom, for the online classroom, and as well as supporting instructors on how to teach online. So that's kind of what my day-to-day is about. How about you, John? What do you do day-to-day these days?
0: Day-to-day, I'm an associate professor of educational leadership studies in a large SEC institution in Kentucky. Smart listeners can just figure out where we work. And then I am the director of graduate studies in the same department, and we are an all-online instruction department. So I'm teaching online. I'm helping advise students who are in online programs, masters, education specialist, doctoral programs, and I also direct a laboratory on design thinking at my institution, and so have to think about ways to humanize online learning and how might that happen in this second half of life for us and these coming years for online both p12 and
1: higher ed that's right yep so we've been having this conversation for a while and really you said that two and a half years that's really just post my dissertation conversations really yeah. for the last two and a half years john and i was thinking that we really maybe we need to play up this whole blue versus orange kind of thing a little bit more in the podcast. Are you a sporting event person?
0: I'm always a a supporter of the teams of my institution. Yes. And then, and uh, do I go to all the football games? No. Do I, do I like to watch football? I like to watch our team play football. Yeah. Um, I'm a baseball fan. So San Francisco Giants, in case anybody cares, who are orange, by the way,
1: they wear. Oh, nice. But yeah, you, not too much my my son particularly is really into it that's what pulls me into it and then i'm always supportive i like rooting for the home team um, there's something really wonderful about being part of a community to have shared interests and just some things to do together and to talk about and to rock yeah
0: i'm smart enough to know that hey, when i'm in a room i i root for and support for all my alma maters and every institution I've worked for.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So go Vols as we head into the football season this weekend. Go Cats. And I think we might have to relive this again when I think we're going to meet up maybe somewhere in November. I think it's going to be in Kentucky this year. We'll have to play that up somehow. We could do a live podcasting episode. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Where we can, I will have very little to say about the actual football, but we could talk about other things. It could be a big analogy for us about. We
0: could march to our respective stadium well, if it's up here. Yeah, I march the stadium and interview people about how they feel about humanizing online learning. Yeah,
1: exactly. That would be a that would be a perfect avenue event for doing that. That's good, John. As you're going into this this fall, we're kind of coming at it from slightly different directions. You as a teacher and as a program administrator and myself more from the development end of things and supporting teachers. Are there any ways that you're approaching this fall semester differently? And I guess, particularly about your online classes than you have in the, in previous fall semesters.
0: I am. I'm having been engaged in conversations about AI in particular, with you over the last six months and you and i have both been using chat gpt since november of 2022 last year when it first mm-hmm. came out watching it evolve and but really in, in more so in earnest thinking about how to use it differently as we kick off the fall and so i have been changing the way i approach my lesson plans in my graduate doctoral program courses i've been Thinking about revamping the curriculum in a way that has more active and more human-centered approaches for the learners so that they are more of a community now than ever before in the project that they're doing. They do a single project on their own as a part of their dissertation development, but I have not been so thoughtful as I am trying to be this term in getting them to really become a community of learners as they create their own pathway through their dissertation work. and and AI, the generative AI models have been helpful to me in developing that. I think also, just from an institutional standpoint, we've changed here at my university because now we have mandated policies for entering text into our syllabi about how AI will be used, generative AI can and should or will be used in the courses. That's on the surface of everything. And then the other thing I'm doing as we kick off the fall is just watching how my P12 sisters and brothers navigate these waters and thinking about how they're going to either ban or use or integrate AI as a tool to support teachers, to think about changing assessments or what they're going to do about equity and access. And so those are just all on the forefront of my thoughts this fall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you've covered some pretty big areas working with your students and particularly in regards to their assignments or big assignments. Policies as a school, as an institution, and then how you personally, then are the people that you support and that you are helping to guide and consult with and, yeah. and direct and so on in terms of their own work, particularly in the P12.
0: And my colleagues here at my institution, and I'm fortunate to sit on a university level advisory board to think about our broad policy work over time here at this university. But so I'm worried about and want to help teachers across this sort of spectrum because professors have a long way to go. I think in thinking about how to be thoughtful of integrating or not integrating generative AI. And as do P12 teachers and principals. I think one of the big questions I'm helping people think through and even think through myself is what kinds of things are unaiable? And how might those be activities that students and learners can do so that we feel like the generative models are used in a way that support the path up to these unaiable events, like public demonstrations of learning, demonstrating context, critical thinking that can happen live, as it were, but still in the context of having generative AI help teachers and learners get there. I'm not at all advocating that we just go back to blue books that's not that's not what <laughs> I'm talking about that, that's one
1: some people are
0: I know are. and I know that's one sort of spectrum of the milieu of unAIable stuff writing in a blue book that's unAIable but the question becomes what is the assessment that you want to do that really demonstrates the learning and for mm-hmm. me that's not blue books that's a, a sort of stuff on the other side which is yeah these public demonstrations of learning opportunities for students to show what they know on their feet. Can they think on their feet? Can they defend their decisions? Can they use metacognition and reflection to make good decisions and talk about what those are? Work in teams. AI doesn't work in a team. Those sorts of things I think are really interesting to me. They're old, then they're old school techniques that I just think have now really risen to the top. I was on a webinar a couple of days ago from the group getting smart and they're in the Pacific Northwest and they were talking about the ways in which AI might penetrate the P12 space and the way in which teachers might be rethinking what they do. And a comment that came across was that because of all the AI-able assessments that now just exist, most everything that happens now in teaching and learning is if you can, it can be answered with an AI prompt. So the thought was, is this going to drive more teachers to think about ways in which they can get to these more interesting, deeper learning assessment approaches that they wouldn't have otherwise? Thought to do, but now because AI has made obsolete or uninteresting or cliche all of the assessment techniques they have been using five paragraph essays, other kinds of written work they may abandon that because there's no guarantee that students are really learning anything when they do those now.
1: Yeah, I like that phrase about AIable or unaiable. That's good. Can we go into this fall assuming that? most students we say most students let's let's break it up a little bit can we go into the fall assuming that most undergrad students first are familiar enough with ai that they could use it if they wanted to use it
0: i don't know what the percentage of use is but i think i go in assuming just assuming yes there's a couple of things i think good things accrue to instructors that just assume the penetration is high and it goes back to my comment a minute ago which is that If you assume that is, then that puts you in a position where you need to really rethink how you're going to assess the learning that you want students to do. Because if you assume that everybody's using AI to do the written work, then you can, you have to rethink all that.
1: Yeah. And it's
0: not a dire situation. It's actually, for me anyway, there's a lot of people that think like I do. It's a celebration because it gives you the opportunity to really dive into the mind of the learner and what you want them to achieve and share the joy of them going through that journey and achieving that outcome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The temptation and tendency to take the easiest road is always there for all of us. We're busy. It's easy just to, as we've talked about before, just copy over our canvas shell from last fall and do the same things again with our students. Uh, Much of that is fine, but this is a great opportunity for us to really rethink and retool and revamp for the sake of our students, to be able to think about what it is that is maybe forcing us now to, to take a new, fresh approach to some of these ways of learning and exploring our subject matters.
0: Yeah. In fact, so one thing that I've done a reversal on a longstanding online activity that I've used, which is the discussion board, I think I'm going to dump them. And our conversation for our listeners, I go back an episode or so to our conversation with Anilda Romero-Hall and what discussions really play. Also to our episode with Michelle Miller, where we also talked about mm. discussion boards, but about 11 years ago, I wrote a paper for the Journal of Research on Leadership Education on ways to reframe asynchronous discussion boards because they were virtually unassessable. It was post once, reply twice, and what do you get from that? And that really frustrated me because it was a field of dreams mentality. If I build this discussion board, the students will come, and nothing's further from the truth. And so I thought about ways in which the students could have a question that they must answer in the process of having a discussion to lead up to that answer. And then you could assess the answer. And I also capped it at no more than 300 words. So you couldn't write a mile. You had to be concise, be thoughtful. I wrote up this scheme and published it in the journal. And it got good feedback because other professors were feeling the same way, learning designers, like, there was, how do we assess these things? And so this was great. And then here I am using this for the last decade. And now I've decided I'm not going to use discussions anymore because they're totally AI-able. Now, I don't think the students in my courses, which are pretty scoped and they're really interested in their topics, hopefully, they've told me they like having these discussions. But ultimately, the thing that I grade is really that answer at the end of week-long discussion. That 300-word answer is AI-able. And I'm not, I'm not certain people will run to it, but I don't see the pedagogical value in this so much anymore. When I can rethink, thanks to generative AI's help, new ways to have high-impact activities that don't have to be lengthy that can still move us formatively to the goal that I have for them to learn. And they're pretty much unaiable because it's team-based work or it's stuff that we do discussions in class that they have to use and they can't. So I think that's a big change. You ask me like, what am I doing differently now this year? Is I'm abandoning decade-long teaching strategies that I've used in online courses.
1: That's impressive, John. That yeah. you're and that you're changing. <laughs>
0: I'm changing. I've also changed about how I feel about the role of writing as a marker for how smart someone is. And I'm thinking about my my shift. I remember was when I was listening to Jason Gullio's podcast, he was interviewing Wilson Sue from Power Notes and Wilson quoted Kirsten Benson at University of Tennessee, Knoxville, saying something to the effect of we shouldn't let words get in the way of good ideas because generative AI is opening the doors for a lot of great ideas to hit the marketplace, a marketplace that is predicated on people writing good English. And so that marketplace is now open to English language learners, neurodivergent learners, citizens of cultures who express themselves in oral traditions or pass on knowledge in ways other than writing. And now that can be put together in ways that are packaged for those who have the resources. If you're going to write a grant, the philanthropists, the foundations, Mm -hmm. their stock in trade is good written ideas, expression of ideas in written form. That doesn't mean that all the people that I've just noted don't have good ideas. They do. They've been boxed out. One could say, oh, Mm -hmm. that's another shift I've made because we want to be able to get to the ideas, not necessarily whether you can write them down.
1: I caught your sporting... Reference to boxing out. Yeah. Ah. It's good. Maybe I'll start to say go Vols every time I hear a sporting reference from you. Sure, you can try. When it comes to the
0: basketball part, you might have a problem. You yeah. You're going to have wishful thinking.
1: Ah, oh, so that, uh, those are fighting words now, aren't they? Here we go. <laughs> Here we go.
0: But what do you think of that idea? What do you think of this notion that generative AI is shifting the way online courses are designed, particularly when assessments have been relying on written word.
1: Absolutely. It's all well and good if you are part of a program where it's really more about the ideas than the final product. But it's hardest hitting in those programs of writing. So it's not just about the ideas. It is actually about the communication of such ideas, as you kind of alluded to. The other area is actually programming. So it's not just about the idea of what you're going to do in your program, but it's actually about the programming, computer programming, language specifically. Like the coding, you mean. The coding, yeah, actual coding. And I've said this before in talking to people, let's focus more on the process and the product, right? How can we assess the process that the students are going through versus the product? With a little bit of pushback from some people in one or the other, and I'm sure there's lots of other examples of this is in language colleges. So they're teaching new languages to people. It's not just about the process. It is actually about the product, about how can you articulate yourself in this new language in the end of the day. And there are sh- a lot of, so there are a lot of shortcuts to that product, as we know. So in some programs, that is not as impactful as other programs. So I just- Academic uh, programs, you mean? Academic programs. That's right. We were just talking about coding. So I wanted. to- Oh, yeah academic programs exactly
0: yeah so do you think just as orange is the new black is process the new product
1: i think so for a lot of us and maybe even some of these kind of product focused and i don't mean to diminish them by saying product focused. it's just a different emphasis on where the work is really happening and probably some of those Some of those programs can do with a little bit of shifting as well towards the process. But yeah, I like that process is the new product.
0: And what do you think the implications are for instructors, regardless of where they sit in the grade spectrum from K through 20, what's the implication for those that have relied long, have relied for a long time on the product and given less thought to how process should now be product.
1: Yeah, I think there are a lot of implications, as you said, of kind of a reworking and a rethinking. And you're kind of talking about your back to school shifting some ways that you are changing. I've had a lot of conversations going into the fall about OpenAI, ChatGPT, impact. And often the top concern is around academic dishonesty and that is a focus on the product. It's a concern that product, someone's going to take a shortcut and they're going to produce a product that is not their own product. And so it's been really helpful, this kind of idea of looking more at the process, breaking down those steps so you're evaluating along the way. So rather than giving 30% on that final big essay, you break it up into smaller chunks. And so you're looking at outlines you're looking at ideas you're looking at ways in which you can see under the hood on that process whether it's through a google doc history or through this tool that we've talked about power notes you've already referenced where you can watch the process kind of unfolding as you go along i I had a great conversation last week where we do a, a community of practice and it just shows that there's a lot of people really interested in talking about this, and I was really impressed that there, I had about 20 faculty in a Zoom room, plus a number of staff, instructional designers, and administrators, another handful of those people on top of the faculty. And it wasn't people that were like gung ho, these weren't people that had already, it was a mix, probably 50 50 mix of people that had used uh, ChatGPT or have not used it. So it wasn't like people that they're here because they're like so excited about using AI in the fall. They're here because they had some concerns. And that was really kind of one of the top concerns. But we really had some great conversation about that process end of things, and particularly around breaking it down. And also, I just thought we had a really great conversation about kind of getting to know your students. And this is where it comes back to this humanizing idea. The instructors are really interested in this idea of having early examples of students. Work that were unaiable. That wasn't their word. That's your word that I'm placing on it. But this is exactly it. Early examples of student work that were low stakes in terms of grading, that were unaiable, for instance, like personal experiences, what you're hoping to get out of this class this fall, how your experiences relate to this class, those kind of things. That's a personal work of their own writing. Low stakes, so they didn't have any incentive really to cheat on it. And then using that as a way to get to know your students and your writing so that when you have more products later on, you've got a bit of a bit of a history already with the students and you can maybe identify whether or not they have used AI in their writing. And if they have, or if you think that maybe they have, it's not a gotcha moment like this turn it in tells me that this is 86% possibly AI. Rather, it's a, hey, this feels different than your earlier writing. Let's talk about this. Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. And I, I had one of those conversations with a student of mine a few days ago because I'm people would be shocked if I said, I don't encourage my students to use these tools. I do. And as they do that with me or they do it on their own and share what they've done, I learn about what I need to do the scaffolding work to have it be a helpful tool to them because one of my students used it to get some stuff and it was immediately obvious to me. This is the other advantage. I think Jason, you and I using these tools in depth like crazy people since November is that <laughs> you can spot the chat GPT oh, yeah. three point five stuff like, like that. And, and it was there. And then so we did. I had the conversation said, look, yeah, I like what you're trying to say here. And it's the direction we wanted. It looks very different from what you're writing. So you were using some large language models to support you here. Yeah, I was. And because we talked about that. Yes, we have. So. Let's talk about now what role this can really play for you and how it can be helpful and then go. Wonderful. Forward. Yeah. I also want to give credit where credit's due. And actually, this is a nice tie in. When I talk about things that are unaiable, I have this idea only because of Brandeis Marshall's post on Medium, which is entitled exactly the same What's unaiable? It's lovely. And there are three things from her perspective contextual awareness conflict Mm -hmm. resolution, and critical thinking, these are the things that are not AI-able and that are launch points for instructors to think about ways in which they have students demonstrate their learning. And so I think that's great. The other thing that's neat, Jason, is that Brandeis Marshall is going to be a keynote speaker at the Washington meeting of the Online Learning Consortium. Nice. Oh, that's great. So I'm excited about this because as learning designers think about their online work, and any other work per se, how these sorts of things can be brought to bear as assessment points.
1: Yeah, that's great. And uh, it's exciting, the OLC fall, because John Nash and Jason Johnson are going to be there, and we're going to be talking about online learning in the second half. That is actually the name. They let us slip that name in there, even yeah. though it's uh, a blatant plug yeah. for our podcast.
0: That's okay. <laughs> um, we just took a page from the Car talk textbook of shameless commerce.
1: Yes, shameless commerce. Yeah. So we're going to be there in the fall in DC, fall of 23, if you're listening to this in in 2023. Tell me those three things that they said again.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Brandeis Marshall in her piece called What's Unaiable, published on Medium, and we'll put the link over there, are as follows contextual awareness, conflict resolution, and critical thing yeah yep. because ai just can't it can't provide contextual awareness Mm -hmm. doesn't have any can't resolve conflicts per se not like humans can it can advise how i might approach a problem but and it can't think critically not like the kinds of questions that humans need to ask in the context of say a meeting or in a dialogue these are the really useful points of departure for instructors as they wonder what they should do now what should they measure now that ai can do everything else maybe in the Mm -hmm. worst case scenario
1: yeah and this may be a good point to to jump in and it's not a popular opinion necessarily but i've had to make this point this fall with people is that we cannot detect it using tools yes reliably not that it can never be detected but we cannot reliably detect the use of AI using tools. I heard again from somebody at a, at a a kickoff talking about the tools that they used for detecting AI with their students. And I go into this with an open mind and I'm like, okay, maybe they've gotten better. And so I had chat four create a English 101 assignment for me based on a prompt, an actual prompt from an English 101 class And then went through the major AI detectors Mm. to see if it would detect it. And none of them did. None of them, they all thought it was human. Mm. So it it doesn't prove everything. It's just one test. But it does prove one thing, which is it's just not reliable. We just can't depend on reliability at this point. And I'm not sure that we ever will because of the ongoing development of AI, because of the nature of these large language models, which is that it makes novel content. Yes. and Or aggregated. It may not be really novel, but it's aggregated in such a way that it is not detectable from... It's not plagiarism, no, it's, as you pointed out in the past. It's
0: generative. So It's generative.
1: Problems. It's been generated. It's never been written before. That's right. So it may be dishonest to use it when you're pretending that it's your own, but it's not plagiarism in the classic sense. And so that it cannot... In a turn it in sense, it cannot go back and point to where it came from conclusively. So when I stuck this English 101 ChatGPT into Turn It In, and they've got AI detectors, it said it was zero percent AI created. And I didn't change a thing. I didn't change one single thing in the in the essay, and yeah. it said it was zero percent. And I was surprised it didn't even do. You know how like weather.com or whatever, it's if there's ever any question about some rain in the air, it's always like forty nine percent, right? So so it, so you look back and you say, "Ah, oh, yeah, I guess it was pretty close kind of thing. But it just kind of rides that middle point so often because, especially in Kentucky and Tennessee, it never knows really when it's going to rain. Uh, and so I was surprised to turnitin was so sure of itself. It said zero percent. It wasn't even like a point one percent chance that this is AI. It's a zero percent.
0: That these models are so unreliable at detecting AI written work is extremely problematic because the implications of a false accusation are so huge for students to have a plagiarism or an academic dishonesty charge leveled. That triggers all kinds of things. And in a situation where it isn't the case, that's very bad. So a false positive, which is one of the other problems. So it's very fun. Yep. It's going the other direction now. I can't, the models have gotten so good. And if you're prompting them, you didn't even try to prompt it very complexly. Did you? The complexity no, it wasn't. Was, it, was, it
1: was, it was, I'll be honest. I did it j- just slightly complexly, but it's, this is not beyond the work of our students. So sure. I gave it the assignment. I did ask it to include a couple of errors. And to do it on a college level writing.
0: I think it's hubris on the part of these companies to suggest that they would even have a detector because it gives this false promise to a lot of instructors who then think that they can rely on this. And the early empirical research out there says these don't work. And actually, they tend to set false positives for English language learners and people from non-English speaking cultures. Even OpenAI in its own research and its public statements say, we cannot reliably detect AI written work. Thank you for bringing this up again, because we should be talking about this almost every episode. AI detectors don't work, don't use them.
1: Yeah. Prove us wrong, listeners. Prove us wrong. but we're talking reliably. I'm not saying it never works. No. just it's a reliable, it cannot be used as a reliable means. And, it, yeah. The risk is
0: too high to ruin a student's life. You're right. So if I ask Alexa if it's going to rain today, it may say there's a 12% chance at four o'clock. But if it gets that wrong, there's no penalty. But yeah. getting this wrong here is really bad.
1: Yeah. And it it creates a division between you and the students. It puts you on the wrong side of this whole thing where... And I think just the kind of effort that would be put into the policing of this versus not that's never our job as administrators and as teachers and so on. We need to be, we need to be helping students develop integrity in their academic writing without question. I'm not against that at all, but, but it just puts us on the wrong side of the, the handcuffs in terms of the, in terms of just trying to police students in that way. Yeah. A lot yeah. of
0: law enforcement metaphors right there.
1: Whew! Better than sports. Oh, I'll, get, I'll throw, it puts us, it makes us more of the referee than the coach. Listen, years ago- Is that a good sports, sports good. metaphor? My, yeah.
0: my sister-in-law years ago put a stake in the ground about using sports metaphors. She said, I'm going to stop saying things like the ball's in their court. I'm going to start saying <laughs> things that families- you know, do like, okay, it's their turn to drive the carpool.
1: That's good. I identify with that a lot more than I do the, <laughs> I bet. Yes. the, the sports, although I get the sports analogies. You and your so van. As well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about as we approach this fall is I've had some great conversations. I was part of a kickoff for for one of the colleges here where their whole kickoff was to talk about AI in and i didn't know of any other colleges doing this but their whole kickoff they had me come in to give some kind of context a little bit of a keynote kind of thing and then they broke it down into different parts where they had teachers talking about what they're using and what they aren't using approaches to research they had some people coming in from other colleges any guesses to what this what college it was
0: was it the college of education
1: Nope. you have a second guess
0: The college, it wouldn't be a college of writing and rhetoric. Was it, did it involve writing and rhetoric people?
1: No, not really. Okay. That was a college of agriculture. And I was, I was fascinated too, because as I did a quick survey, probably out of, out of the 60 faculty members that were there, I would say about, about 58 of them had used uh, chat GPT or some sort of open AI to. For something, anyways, they had at least played with it, so it was quite impressive. I think that there's ways in which I think that maybe we maybe it's just me, but maybe we have a little bit of a misconception sometimes about agriculture folks, but they seem to be quite on top of it in terms of really wanting to proactively think about using chat yeah. and AI this fall. but one of my kind of approaches was talking about education under the influence of AI. Huh. So I use that metaphor because there's a couple different ways of kind of thinking about that, that we have no choice about it at this point. It, we are under the influence of AI this yes. fall from an assignment kind of, we, I wanted to talk about the writing end of things about, about academic dishonesty and those kind of things. But also not just about how do we create our assignments in light of AI, so make them unAIable and so on, but how do we then create assignments that leverage AI to help kind of take us to that next yes. level? And so trying to make those kind of distinctions as well has been kind of a topic of conversation around here.
0: Thank you for raising that because we've spent a lot of time in this Episode talking about what's unaIable and getting to very human natured and getting to very human centered assessments, the public demonstrations of learning, the sort of deeper learning avenues. But I don't think we've talked enough about, and maybe this is a topic for future conversation. Where are we best suited to leverage this crazy? Because there's a lot mm-hmm. of good places to do that in the learning process. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah, I think we we definitely need to round back to that because I think that there's some there are some amazing resources out there where people are giving different options. And there are also some different ways to think about it framing in terms of different kinds of assignments and what you're trying to get out of of the students in terms of their learning outcomes. So why don't we why don't we put a pin in that one and come back and perhaps do a whole episode after we've talked to a few people? Speaking of, we've got some, oh, we can't even, I'm not even going to say yet, but we've got some exciting guests coming up. So if you're listening to this now and we have further episodes, please keep listening because we've got some great guests Uh, coming up.
0: Oh, we got a get. We did. We got a
1: get. Yeah. Yeah. So excited about that. And partly won't say anything too, because we haven't actually recorded it yet. So we don't know. Absolutely everything will work out, but we're very excited about our fall and what we got laid out this fall. Online learning com is our, our website, as well as find our online learning podcast LinkedIn group where you can say whatever you're thinking about this episode and whether or not you agree or disagree, would love to have more connection and communication. And if I can say one thing to you, John, before we close here, that is maybe the most important thing coming from one SEC school to another. Go Vols. Absolutely, I agree with you. Go cats. <laughs> Thanks, John. Bye. Bye.